And now, brought to you by Ligaris Roasters, the coffee alchemists behind Gut Check Blend Espresso. www.ligarisroasters.com Coming to you live, and by that we mean recorded in advance, from warm and sunny West Tennessee, it's the Gut Check Podcast, with your hosts, Ted Cluck and Zach Bartles. Hey, welcome to the Gut Check Podcast. I'm Ted Cluck, joined, as always, in studio, in the Arnold Cluck smoking room. Uh, by my good friend and my partner in radio, Zachary Bartles. And Zach, this has been a uh, a very stimulating weekend creatively in that we have produced a lot, but we've also consumed a lot uh, creatively. And I want to talk about something that we consumed last night. And we've got a couple of special guests here in the studio. Uh, they don't like a lot of attention. They're not in this for the fanfare. One of them is buried uh, in her phone. Buried in her phone like a millennial. Uh, <laughs> and one of them is looking very cute in uh, in a pair of pigtails. And um, I, I like that a whole a whole lot. Um, now I'm being the awkward reform guy talking about how nothing but negative for me. Right, right. So yeah, nothing but negative. I I would I would posit that the other one is also very cute. Sure. Albeit without pigtails. See, what I did there is I put you in the awkward reformed husband position of having to match the enthusiasm. You know what I mean? This is yeah. this is what happens vis-a-vis these guys. No, what I need to now do is talk about my smoking hot wife. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> Which will. Well, you know, immediately turn everyone's minds in the wrong direction. What we so. did there was illustrate everything wrong with people doing that. Um, and it all started with you doing it for real. For real. Yeah, yeah. that's right. That's right. Uh, Zach, I want to talk, though, about other women. And specifically <laughs> the women in the movie Mystic Pizza, which uh, came out in 1988. And, and I just got around to watching last night. That you just got around to watching. This is kind of an 80s reference piece. I think it was kind of a... A genre breaker in the sense that it was the first kind of ensemble romantic comedy that was primarily about women. Uh, so in that, it was probably a little bit progressive. But that that would be the last way in which it was. Yeah, it um, reminded me of every crappy made-for-TV movie ever. It was like a Hallmark movie that actually made it to the theaters. Right. And, it was the, and then was celebrated for decades. And it was celebrated for decades for reasons that are, I think, to both of us, unbeknownst. They having escaped viewed me, the movie. yeah. Yeah, yeah, but... Anyway, if you haven't seen Mystic Pizza, it concerns the lives of two girls, uh, Kat and Daisy Arujo, uh, who are of Portuguese <laughs> lineage. It was just how they said it in the movie. They didn't say Portuguese. They said Portuguese. I think, yeah, that, or maybe the singular was, she is a Portuguese. Ah, Portuguese. I see. I see. And then there was another girl also, whose yeah. name was Jojo. And who, Jojo, and who was Lily Taylor. Who was Lily Taylor. Yeah, who was a very important 90s actress. But Lily like Taylor, that. who would go on to much, much greater things Absolutely. than Mystic Pizza. Absolutely. Uh, so in Mystic Pizza, these three women uh, lived in Mystic, Connecticut. And they worked at a small pizza parlor, uh, in which a lot of the movie didn't p- take place. So. Literally 93% of the movie was not in Mystic Pizza. Exactly. Le- leaving me to wonder, did someone somewhere think... Mystic Pizza sounded more like a blockbuster film and less like a uh, little novelette for fifth graders. Yes, exactly. Which I don't, I don't get. I don't get anything about this, honestly. There was one thing I liked about it. And what was the one not thing? Everyone liked it. Well, let's uh, let, let's bridge right into that because okay. I want to. I want to hear the one thing. This that is you the liked. controversy surrounding Mystic. Pizza. I want to get the setup. I want to get how all of this transpired, and then we're going to talk with the group about whether or not this was funny. And let me just say before I get to the joke that. Anytime a screen, mm-hmm. film, TV, whatever, shows like a wharf yeah. and like people on boats doing fishing things, yeah. I'm immediately bored out of my skull. 
I'm immediately just like, I'm out. I don't You're not a wharf guy. This is interesting. I'm so unwarf. I'm the least wharf guy you've ever met. I'll tell you, I have kind of romantic notions about the wharf. I'm a... I'm not a guy who's really into boating in real life, but like when I see boating kind of romanticized on the screen, I'm very interested. I like boat movies. I like wharfs. Um, <laughs> I like the commercial fishing industry. Ted I'll is just a pro wharf. I'm pro wharf. I'm pro commercial fishing as a backdrop <laughs> to a movie. So there was a lot about this that worked for me, and I think I think part of it, Zach, is the fashion of commercial fishing in that you've got a lot of flannels, a lot of kind of like work jeans, work boots. Like okay. I feel like it's. It's kind of in a weird way an homage to the '90s. So my wife just left the room. Apparently, your, our your show son isn't... beckoned her. Oh, she was so beckoned. I got it. I appreciate him trying not to interrupt the the proceedings. The radio. He he knows when we're doing radio and when not to come to the room. So, um, and, but she is gone for good. That seems she, to be she the is. case. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So know, anyway, like, Zach. Um, about here she this... comes back with her with her pigtails, looking all Portuguese. Portuguese. <laughs> You know, and I, I told like, her this morning. I said, "Can you do the thing with your hair where you look Portuguese?" <laughs> I feel like that movie actually really it kind of it was it was unhelpful in that it really reinforced a lot of Por- Portu- Portuguese stereotypes. Uh, a bunch of yeah, a bunch of unkind Portuguese stereotypes. <laughs> like they work in wharfs. Um, no, it was like, like they have to work. That they have yeah. to work. Yeah, you know, some people don't. You know, have we to didn't work. have to work. Uh, as a, as by way of a segue, oh, Zach, I want to talk about something that's very. <laughs> I want to talk about something that's a very 1980s movie, and I know you, I know you picked up on this last night because you're a savvy um, connoisseur of film. Okay. There's always class struggle in an 80s movie. Yes, there's always a waspy douche. Yep. In this case, is whether name, it's Johnny Lawrence or Johnny Lawrence, Charlie from last night, and how do we know he was a waspy douche? Well, we met him when he was com- bl- blowing through town in his uh, Porsche, Porsche as he called it. Uh, convertible. convertible red red yeah. fire engine red uh, and he went he walked right into the like wharf workers bar the, the blue collar bar the wharf bar he walked in there with his like super feathered girlfriend yeah and his and his weird turtleneck under a blazer wearing buddy and he just mm-hmm. took over yeah he he said he walked right in there like he owned the place this guy probably he did he honestly. might have owned the place maybe his dad owned the place that didn't literally. come up yeah, but you right. don't know uh, his dad being a very important individual Entertainment. Oh, Erin is. Uh, she doesn't want to talk because she doesn't like her voice on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but she just reminded me he had a popped collar. Yep. And I thought hair that transcended the eighties. I'm just going to say that. Can I have one of those jarums as well? Absolutely. Thank you, sir. He was Charlie was a very good looking guy, such that we both remarked, like, why didn't he have more of a career? So this actor that portrayed Charlie, I thought could have been leading man material. Save for the fact that after Mystic Pizza, he did very little. I would have liked to see him with his on-screen brother in a 90s film. I would have liked that, too. On-screen brother, uh, the character's name was Steamer mm-hmm. Woolery. Yeah. And uh, Steamer was portrayed by one Matt Damon, mm. who would go on to be in such films as The Born Ultimatum and, and Ocean's 13. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> School Talks. <laughs> But uh, oh man, I gotta. You know how I kept track of all the the, the nesting dolls. Yeah, the different like layers. Yeah, yeah. So so what I was gonna I was t- I got a wharf talk. I got yeah. the wharf talk in Portuguese. Yeah. Um, Your issues with wharfs. I'm glad we <laughs> talked about that because I didn't know that about you. So I'm not a wharf guy. No. When I select movies for the group from now on, I'm gonna do so with a greater sense of sim- sensitivity about your wharf <laughs> issues. You know they they're deeply rooted wharf issues. You got a lot of wharf stuff going. on. <laughs> I respect that. 
I so, love the wharf too. It's romantic. What's not to love about the wharf? The thing that the thing that was controversial last night mm-hmm. was that it was quite late. We were a little at first off our game in our I think in, in our sense? mocking of the, well because usually in our mocking of the movie usually we get right into it as soon as the movie starts we establish some of the jokes we're going to go back to yeah someone hand this girl a lighter that works mm-hmm. it's me it's not the lighter <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to pair with this too by the way. Just because we're already all over the map, yeah. I want to point out that the Arnold Clock smoke room mm-hmm. is a little more handsomely kind of outfitted today. Yeah. 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 Um, in that the Walmart came through yeah. eventually. And uh, we were able to. We uh, no, that was in the thing that we cut. That was cut. in the thing that yeah. we cut. We were able to frame and hang two photos of your grandfather, Arnold Clock, one from probably. Late 60s? Late this 60s. Yeah. This one looks even earlier. Yeah. Um, nobody's happy like that anymore. That's like right. that picture. Nobody's content. That's a guy with their who's accomplished anymore. stuff that that's right. day and he has no he has no doubts about where he's going in life. Dude, that's right. Yeah. I love that. He's full of hope and possibility with his lady at his arm. Uh, they've just had a sumptuous dinner. That's a good looking man right there. Yeah, dude, and that's that's America in a nutshell. It is. It's everything good about America. And then I'm pointing over here, I'll, mm-hmm. because Hans, Booby, this is radio, not television, I'll describe what I'm pointing at. It is a, a very handsomely framed original boxing license. Yeah, it was my grandpa's boxing license from Chicago from probably... It's from 33, right? 32. 19, yeah, 1933, I was going to say mid-30s. It, it expires in 33, so yeah. this is from the 1930s. And the picture of this guy, I'm gonna, this is going to be the graphic on this app. Mm-hmm. The eyes, which uh-huh. are gray, according mm-hmm. to... Not just because it's a black and white photograph, yeah, yeah. but actually... His real eyes, according to the, the, the boxing commissioner in Illinois at the time, were actually, gray. Actually, there was a little misunderstanding, uh-huh. and the guy who filled that in just looked at all the black and white photos That's and said right. gray on all of them. Every boxer in Chicago in the 1930s <laughs> had gray eyes, according to this... This guy. What are some other nice things about the, the information there that's, that's fun? Uh, employer was... The old barn, restaurant. The that was barn. The, that was the speakeasy that my ancestors owned on the south side oh, of Chicago so near Midway right. Airport. Yeah. And he was a cook there. He was a, uh, Gramps was a cook. Legitimate at, uh, businessman. At He's, the barn, yeah. The wasn't in, barn. into the other stuff. That's and, right. And then it also has a picture of the guy. And I look into the, that face and I told you yesterday I could see a little of you in there. Which I took as the highest compliment because he was a very handsome guy. And, and it, all, I mean, best case scenario, Ted, mm-hmm. that means that... When, you know, there's a picture of you as an older man smoking, you know. I certainly hope I look that You'll good. wind up looking yeah. like that. Um, so the, the moment last night uh, was when we finally kind of hit our stride. Yeah. Mocking the movie. Right. Which is something we're very practiced we're at. We're very, so very we good at. Yeah. It was, it was unusual for us to take a few minutes. And this that. movie was a mess. It was a turd. It should have been easy. It's a very, very bad movie. Yeah. It was the requisite scene mm-hmm. when... Uh, Poor Julia Roberts, whose face I despise. Daisy Arugio. Daisy Arugio was uh, over. She's poor-ish. She's she's Portuguese, mm-hmm. and uh, she was over at uh, the her boyfriend's house. This this mansion. Waspy it was a mansion. douche. Yeah. It was a full-on mansion. Yeah. She's sitting across from Steamer. Yeah. Steamer. Um, and uh, there's this kind of moment where 
Oh no, this this wasn't there. No, this was when they were this alone. This is earlier. This they is were alone earlier. in the mansion. They're alone, and he's kind of like revealing his soul. Mm-hmm. And so he, he he's sharing what's hard about his life. He's failed a class in law school, right? Mm-hmm. In law yeah. school, law and I was half paying attention. Of course, law school. Of course, law. Yeah, right. Probably because he had swim practice and play practice, and he couldn't study. Oh no! All right, all right. So you're saying I'm kind of like what's Charlie? Charlie. 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 Your class that you failed was not in law school. It wasn't in law school. I didn't fail a class when I had swim practice and yeah. play practice. Because and you balanced practice. everything. Because, yeah, you yeah. had good time management. That you oh, no, no. Oh. So <laughs> he tells her he failed a class. Mm-hmm. And she says, uh, "No, everyone fails classes once in a while. Mm. To which he replied, and I didn't even really hear this. I was starting to just zone out. I was like, mm-hmm. this isn't working. He says, not me. Chuck Willoughby's son or something. He says, yeah, yeah. not me. I'm Chuck Willoughby's son. Windsor. Windsor. Chuck Windsor. Uh, whatever the case. Yeah. Ted says, says. Ted says. Not me. <laughs> I'm Chuck. Chuck Woolery's son. Chuck Woolery's son. From the love connection. And I, I laughed so hard that I felt like, you know, even though you're not even standing, you feel like you're going to fall. Like I'm already sitting on a couch and I was worried like if I laugh another round, yeah. it was dimming around yeah, me. Yeah, too. I laughed so hard that my field of vision, like my periphery was starting to shrink. <laughs> and what was so funny about it uh-huh. was that the idea that being Chuck... <laughs> Chuck Woolery's son would be such a weight, such a, such a, such a heavy weight of responsibility to overcome. Such big shoes to fill, Zach. And that... All of this build-up to that point was for that reveal. That for that big reveal that he's... <laughs> two and two. We'll be right back. We'll be back in two and two. Yeah. And, and I couldn't stop laughing, and you couldn't stop laughing, and we looked over at our wives. Yeah. Both of whom were sitting there... Stone-faced. You know, like half a Mount Rushmore. Dead eyes, stone-faced. <laughs> you know, and, and no like, reaction. Both of them demanded, explain why that's funny. What's funny about that? And we were so pleased with ourselves. <laughs> we're like, we, if we have to explain it... It's Dude. not funny, but I, I did it. I tried to explain it as such. So try try again. Try to explain it. Zach, what was funny about it for me <laughs> is the fact that uh, growing up in the 80s, part of daytime television in the summer was watching reruns of Chuck Woolery on The Love Connection. Yeah. And if you're not familiar, The Love Connection was the show in which uh, three couples would go out on dates and then answer questions about one another from behind, like a, a, a partition. Uh-huh. And then Chuck Woolery and the audience would ascertain whether or not there's been a love connection made. Right, yeah. And so, whether or not there will be a second date. So if the, the person the person who did the dating chose yeah. the same person as the audience, yes, they got right. like another date funded. They got mean, another date. So they yeah, got like 40 yeah. bucks, really, right, was right. the other one. So, and, and Chuck Woolery had like woolly eyebrows. He was very that? handsome, but he had woolly eyebrows. Yeah, yeah. He, he had a great quaff of like 80s hair. He had a real Dick Clark vibe about him. I he was like a poor man's Dick Clark. Dick Clark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. He was, but, but he wasn't poor, a poor man. I mean, no, we saw no, no, his no, no, no. Very rich man. Yeah, we saw his mansion last night. For me, Zach, the thing that was funny about a Chuck Woolery reference was the fact that... What are you doing? Yeah, okay, Absolutely. we're still recording. Yeah. Was the fact that... I had not thought about Chuck Woolery <laughs> in any way, shape, or form in probably 25 years. Right. Okay. It so was such an obscure reference. Much less the name Chuck Woolery like crossing my lips <laughs> in a conversational setting. So much, much less Chuck Woolery, Woolery himself being kind of this this uh, scion of, of yeah yes, right yes. right yeah this this tycoon. And being the climax of the film to, that up to that point. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, like the big, the big, oh, 
That's who this guy That's is. That's who this guy is. That's why he's such a big deal. He's it, Chuck Woolery's son. And then it got us onto this whole thing of thinking about what it would be like to be Chuck Woolery's son and the weight that you would carry around and, and just the expectations um, that would be there in your life. And then literally every additional joke that uh-huh. came out of our mouths as we mocked the movie was, was an homage Chuck, to our earlier yeah, Chuck Woolery joke. Which may have been partially kind of just out of a, a sort of sense of, um, uh, oh, what's the term? Um, Fidelity to the joke, the original well, joke, that, or? but also kind of to to. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull out all this silence. Okay. What is it I'm looking for? Because they didn't find it funny. Uh huh. Kind of a a sense of, of of leaning against the the wind in terms of trying to get them to come on board as to how funny the joke was. To get them either to yeah. come on board or just to to kind of push it in their face that they didn't get it. Yeah. And make them want to get it because they didn't even want to get it. They didn't want problem. to get it. As they the didn't thing. want to. Get yeah. It. They didn't want to get they it. They didn't it, get it. it. It became a thing where, like, they were digging in, they were digging in their heels as far as not getting it. You know what I right. mean? They and didn't we, want to give us the pleasure of so having it. So we doubled down it. on it. We doubled again. down on our efforts to get them to get it. And you know what? They never got any less funny. If no. I can do Sam so myself. We enjoyed all the continual references to Chuck Woolery <laughs> as much as we enjoyed the first. What are you showing me? Um, he, has, he had four wives. Chuck, Chuck had four. Oh, so wow. I thought you were just sticking over there. No. <laughs> This guy, listen to this, Chuck Woolery. Here's a picture of him in 04. Gosh, he looks what the a good same guy. He looks incredible. Dude, the guy he made the pack with the devil. He doesn't age. He's mm. age 76. Judas Priest. Occupation he look over 56. Television host, actor, years active. Ready for this? Yeah. 1969 through present. present. Yeah. Absolutely. What's Spouses. He doing now? One from in the 60s. One in the 70s. One in the 80s. And then one married in 2006. Children six, including Steamer and Ste- of course and Steamer and Charlie. Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> When you're Chuck Woolery, you just churn through spouses every decade. Website, www.chuckwoolery.com. Okay, we're going to go there right now. I just clicked it now, man. Yeah, bring it up on a big, I'm gonna go on a lap big yeah. yeah. Oh, what has Chuck Woolery got a website for? I don't know, but what? I want to see it. <laughs> yeah! I can't describe this. It's a blogspot blog, and you need to drop whatever you're doing, pull over to the side of the road, whatever you're doing. And open up ChuckWoolery.com. I'm going there right now, baby. This is the sound of me going there. Should we spell Chuck Woolery? W-O-O-L-E-R-Y is Woolery. If you can't spell Chuck, you don't deserve to see this. Chuck Woolery signature products. He's got things to buy. Oh, he's... Can oh we buy gosh. some Chuck Woolery gear? Is he sell- Did he buy Mystic Pizza, the chain? I bet he did. About oh. the company. I'm going to click about the company. This is the best. The company started by accident, really. <laughs> Many years ago, Chuck was at a fishing show, checking out the latest and greatest... Because he's a wharf guy. In fishing, he's a wharf guy! <laughs> he finds the wharf romantic, like me. It was one of those shows we've all been to, where you can see everything from boats to campers to dollar We've doors. all been to these, yeah, absolutely. All right. Dime a dozen. That's where things stand today, Chuck Woolery Signature Products. I'm going to look at the, at the catalog. This is early years. He was a musician. Zach, he sells lures! Oh, boy. Look! Chuck Woolery, <laughs> Moto Minnow Bass Lure. Ted, I, am I at a place here when I say one of those would look handsome hanging on the wall of the smoke room? You are at exactly that place, my friend. Now, so that's where he is today. Do you want to hear his early yeah, years? Uh, of course. In the early 1960s, Chuck Woolery sang and played the bass fiddle with a folk song trio called the Bordermen. Yes. He also sang in a duo called the Avant Garde. Who were in the psychedelic pop genre. What? The other half of the duo was Elkin Bubba Fowler. 
They signed to Columbia Records and had a top 40 hit with a song called Naturally Stoned in 1968. <laughs> you gotta be kidding me. How, who is he to look down on Charlie when he's done all this stuff? That's my question. This guy's done so much. Dude, can you YouTube for me uh, the avant-garde and the song Naturally Stoned? If we could hear a little of this of on the podcast. Can. The avant-garde, isn't it? Yeah. With a hyphen. Na okay, naturally stoned. Someone, someone's already searched for this. Uh, now, I think a lot of people. Probably someone searched for it today. Oh, Zach. Yeah? Would you like to see the cover art for the avant-garde <laughs> This I would, stoned? yes. I think you would. Um, the the tagline on this video on, on YouTube is... Hang uh, on. Early Chuck Woolery flower pop. <laughs> flower pop! Okay, skip ad. Here we go. Says Chuck Woolery, naturally stoned. Look at him, look at this. Is it a video? Oh, look at this great looking man circa the 1960s. It seems the days we Ooh, this isn't bad. It's not bad. I would listen to this in real life. So he was like avant-garde. I gotta imagine they thought of themselves very cutting edge, very kind of hipster. They say grow up. Oh my god. What you have to do. How is this song not in the Mystic Pizza soundtrack? But I know I Ooh. could never make it, baby, without you. There's a guy who doesn't have a care in the world, right? That guy's going for it. And he knows it. And you know what? It came true. There's a guy who said, you know what? I'm going to host a love-related uh, game show and then have my own lure company. And before he did that, Ted... As a solo artist, he released five records with Columbia. What? Five solo records. After, after 1970, he signed with RCA and released two more records. We gotta fade this down a little bit, but I want it in the background. So he wrote a bunch of love songs, Love Me, Love Me. In the so, late 70s, he returned to his singing career and, and charted on hot country songs with Painted Lady. Do you think it's fair to say that he had, because of this experience with avant-garde, he had an innate sense of love and love-related issues that uniquely positioned him oh, yeah. to host Love Connection. Yeah. I feel like his whole life was leading in that direction. The lures are just gravy. It's a it's a passion. It's a labor of love. It happened by accident. Really? Because he's a wharf guy. <laughs> when you're a wharf guy, it pulls you. The wharf, the siren song of the wharf never, it, it, it never diminishes, you know? <laughs> Not me. I'm Chuck Woolery's son. <laughs> Dude, don't put that computer away, though. Okay. Because, uh, Ted, you were kind enough to uh, delve into kind of the, the bottom end of this uh, this this movie mm -hmm. and do some soul searching. Yeah. And 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 you, you put together, for the gut check guide to everything, I believe, mm -hmm. uh, a little uh, revisited... Uh, where are they now kind of situation what happened to these characters afterward I wonder if you want to share just a couple of those I with the listeners that. I would love that um, okay so if you've seen Mystic Pizza uh, you're familiar with the characters so I'm not going to bore you with a lot of setup on the characters but uh, we caught up with a few of them uh, to see what they're doing 30 years after the fact so uh, the first character I'd like to talk about is uh, Charlie Woolery the, the waspy <laughs> And, and just so you know, on IMDb, someone accidentally made him be Charlie Windsor. Charlie Windsor, but he's yeah. Charlie, he's Charlie Woolery in our hearts. All right, so here's Charlie Woolery. Here's what his life has looked like since 
Mystic Pizza. Charlie is the waspy teenage douche who drove his red Porsche through Mystic, drawing the attention of Daisy Arujo, who was the hotter, fun Arujo sister in that she was really pretty but not all that interested in school. In the film, Charlie was the son of Love Connection host and game show tycoon Chuck Woolery, who was disappointed in the fact that he had given his son all of the advantages he never had, but in doing so, had also created a son who had never worked a day in his life and didn't know how to work. At the end of the film, Charlie Woolery took a job in an ice cream parlor to show his blue-collar girlfriend that he did indeed know how to work. Not surprisingly, he hated it. Soon thereafter, Charlie came to the conclusion that everyone watching the film had already come to. <laughs> they have nothing in common, and the sensible thing to do, rather than try to turn Charlie blue-collar, was to try to make Daisy classy, resulting in the film Pretty Woman. <laughs> you put the pieces together. You put the pieces together, yeah. The two were married in a really obnoxious and ostentatious ceremony in Danbury, Connecticut, where they live with their three insufferable waspy children, none of whom have ever worked a day in their lives. They live lives of secret, low-grade dissatisfaction with one another, and that Daisy doesn't respect her husband because he's never worked or produced anything of his own, and Charlie resents Daisy because he can sense her resentment. <laughs> Daisy can often be seen on the veranda of their 16,000-square-foot mansion, drinking directly from a bottle of wine and wishing she were back in Mystic making pizzas. From an aesthetic standpoint, Charlie suffers from the end of the 1980s, oh, yeah. what with his popped collars and feathered hair. <laughs> the 90s are a total aesthetic disconnect for Charlie, and he longs for the days when conspicuous consumption and waspy douchery was celebrated. <laughs> Charlie begins a waspy douche support group that meets in the basement of Danbury United Methodist Church and is attended regularly by Johnny Lawrence, Chet Danbury, and Knox Overstreet, oh. who were who were other waspy douches in the 1980s. Dude, um, yes, there's a lot of there's a so lot that's of Charlie Woolery. A lot of a lot of stuff going on with Charlie. Let's uh, you know what? Let's catch up with Tim the Architect. Okay. So if you've seen the movie, you know that Tim the Architect was he was a tall, thin, red-haired man who seemed to be on some kind of a freelance. Uh, architecture job in in Mystic. It seemed like the kind of job that would be kind of thrown together on paper by someone who had no idea how architecture works. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. No understanding of actual architecture. So this is Tim, the architect. In his short time on an architectural freelance job in Mystic, Tim garnered quite the reputation for using his then-toddler daughter, Phoebe, to pick up young, vulnerable local women in that way that some women go, oh, look how good he is with kids. <laughs> However... Phoebe got older, as all toddlers do, and when Tim was unable to parlay her early childhood cuteness into cheap sex, his world collapsed, metaphorically speaking. Good. His literal world also collapsed when, <laughs> in an identical pizza and sex on the bare boards of a house I'm designing scenario, went bad, and the entire house collapsed due to an architectural oversight on his part. <laughs> he died. While the impressionable young girl escaped unscathed. So good for her. <laughs> good you for know. her, bad for him, which is good for the world. That's right. Good for Mystic. No more Tim. I'd like to <laughs> no. I'd like to hear a little update on Steamer himself, you know. Steamer, yeah. Steamer Woolery. Um, <laughs> Steamer Woolery. Yeah. Okay, so Steamer Woolery didn't play a large part in Mystic Pizza, in that he was Charlie's younger brother and appeared only in the awkward dinner scene with the Woolery family, in which Chuck expressed all the dissatisfaction with Charlie. In true brother dynamics fashion, Steamer picked up on this and, in addition to all the waspy sneering he did at the dinner, parlayed that sneer into a career hosting a late 90s reboot of Love Connection. <laughs> he also penned a memoir entitled Growing Up Woolery, which chronicled his teenage years as a regional tennis champion, as well as his work on Love Connection. 
Steamer Woolery is, to this day, a staple of American game show television and is beloved by all. Oh, So things yes. turned out for Steamer. Steamer, yeah. yeah. We all saw that coming. We saw that coming. He had he had success written all over him. That, that Full kid. Steam Ahead should have been the oh, name of this book. Oh, Full yeah, Steam yeah. Ahead, colon, Growing Up Woolery. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In the, the the next edition, we'll we'll have that uh, updated title, I think, <laughs> on the on the cover. Ah, uh, steamer. Yeah. <laughs> Zach, in the in much the same way that now, why didn't you react to our, our hilarious Chuck Woolery joke last night in, with, with, with that kind of enthusiasm? Yeah. Because it wasn't steamer. Ah, oh, okay. Zach, I want to talk about um, your wife's a steamer guy. I want to stop talking about steamers writing and and start talking about our writing. Okay. okay? So in, I'm always down for that. In much the same way that that Chuck Woolery was a just a, a a diverse creative force, just a man of the world in the sense that he he was doing a lot of different things creatively. You and I do a lot of different things creatively in that we have uh, a publishing empire, uh, we have a wildly successful radio program, and we have a new Rapture novel uh, in the works called Re-Raptured Again. And something that we've been having some fun with as a group uh, this weekend has been reading those chapters out loud. So uh, uh-huh. I want to throw it to you uh, because you've got chapter four queued up there on the Palm, tum- uh, palm Tungsten. The Palm Tungsten. Palm yeah, tum- right, yeah, Palm Tungsten. Difficult to say quickly. Um, probably because I'm not as familiar with the technology right, as yeah, you are. Yeah. Um, so, Zach, why don't you lay chapter four of re-raptured again on us. I'm going to turn the mic toward me so you can hear me better and so you can hear Kristen's loud yawning better. So, oh. so it's clear that she's not so she's not so into our Chuck Woolery jokes. Yeah. All right. Chapter four, a bedroom full of secrets. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> a little sass. Don't be a sass back. <laughs> it's a reference to our first Rapture novel. Uh-huh. Kate Russell Morrison is leaving work early today. When she told her producer she wasn't feeling well, the guy didn't even look up. He just said, again, in a way that could have been a question or an accusation, but was probably just an observation. Indeed, Kate had been leaving work early a lot lately. She's halfway out to her car when Alex Roth rolls up behind her, yelling, Hey, Kate, wait up! (laughs) Not now, she thinks, putting her hand to her abdomen. She feels movement. She really needs to get out of here. What is it, Alex? she asks. The part of Kate today will be played by Aaron Bartles, who loves her voice really on the podcast. Yeah. What is it, Alex? She asks. Can it wait? It can wait. I have to go. It's just, he rubs the back of his neck. You've been sick an awful lot lately. Is everything okay? Yes. She lies. I'm fine. Just a little under the weather. She unlocks her car and gingerly sets herself down in the driver's seat. Alex lingers. I'm a good listener, you know. Better than some people. She puts on a pair of comically large sunglasses and gives Alex a look. I hope you're not talking about Duke. And I hope you're not still harboring some notion that you and I will wind up together. I'm a married woman. She holds up the monster ring on her left hand. I gave my legs to protect you, Alex mutters feebly. Kate swings her own shrapnel-scarred legs out toward him. You call that protection? The scars are actually not very noticeable. I used to have amazing legs. Now I have to wear nude-colored pantyhose, like some kind of grandma. The movement inside her picks up. Without saying anything else, she shuts the door and pulls out of the parking lot. Twenty minutes later, she's riding the elevator up to her floor, clutching her now-large and distended stomach. (laughs) The apartment she shares with Duke is the first door on her right, but she lurches past it, hastening to a different door at the end of the hall while fumbling with her keys. 
She barely makes it inside before flopping down on a twin bed in the living room. Emma! She shrieks. A plain young woman in her early 20s comes bustling out of the kitchen, drying her hands on an apron. Another one? Is all she says. <laughs> Kate answers with a long, pained grunt. <laughs> it's like a woman noises. Yeah. That's it. Let me boil some water. There's no time. It's coming. Emma nods earnestly. Okay, you can do this, Kate. We've been through it before. What is happening is that Kate is about to have a baby. And she's been through it before, exactly six times in seven weeks. It started when she and Duke had a fight, their first. The matter of contention had been Kate's lack of urgency vis-a-vis -vis when they would have children. Duke wanted kids right away, he insisted. Kate wanted to focus on her career for a while. Her arguments had been airtight, but as it turns out, the former coach is great at making people feel guilty, and later that night, her husband in a sleeping pill-induced coma, Kate had caved and ingested a tablet from the bottle labeled Ultra Jest, which Duke had received yes. as a perk being a minority holder in the company. The bottle read, Ultra Jest is proven to safely reduce the human gestation period to six weeks. Take two pills twice daily for 30 days for the best results. Kate took just one. With the morning came fresh perspective and she decided to hold firm in her position that they should wait a while. With Ultrajess about to gain FDA approval, it's not like they would have to wait long. But at least until Duke got a job. All he seemed to do is sit around the apartment. But then it happened. Two days after taking that one pill, she gave birth to a healthy baby boy. No warning at all. When she left home that morning, she was her normal, trim self. By mid-afternoon, she was quite pregnant. She carried the weight well, and no one really said anything because it's super weird when a coworker seems to get much larger before your eyes over the course of several hours. But there was no denying what was happening when labor began. She had the baby at Our Lady of Secular Values Hospital in Manhattan <laughs> under a false name. The actual delivery was quick and painless, apparently a side effect of the ultragest, and she felt and looked great as soon as it was over. When the doctor left the room to let her rest, she gathered her new son, whom she named Alex, she doesn't know why, and went, out and went and held him in her car, not knowing what to do or who to call. That's when she had remembered Emma. You know how sometimes you meet someone at a pivotal time for both of you, and even though you're very different, the circumstances of your meeting cement your relationship? That's what happened with Kate and Emma. They met on the craziest night of both their lives just after she and Duke were wed on the field of Moody Crossway Chick-fil-A Kilometer High Stadium and about an hour after Emma had watched her roommate's head explode. <laughs> Duke had rushed off to his office to compose a letter of resignation. As she sat there alone, looking up at the majestic stadium, Kate heard a female voice call out, Congratulations! from somewhere up in the sky. At first, she thought it might be God, she had written a number of papers in college in which she had referred to God as she, thinking this to be edgy. Before long, though, she realized that it was actually the voice of a rather frightened young woman clinging to, <laughs> clinging to the light stanchion several hundred feet up in the air. Kate had convinced her to slowly climb back down and had immediately taken Emma under her wing. The girl had many issues, but Kate is the kind of woman who loves having project people around so she can help them work through their problems. Which is ironic, considering the turns things, turn things had taken. When she and Duke made the move to New York for a pleasant morning, Emma moved too. Kate had used a secret bank account, meaning an account that Duke doesn't know about, to rent Emma an apartment down the hall from her. 
It's crazy how much stuff they're keeping from each other. <laughs> she also paid for Emma's doula classes. <laughs> Kate could never figure out how a doula was different from a midwife, but apparently it was. Either way, though, Emma had proven herself capable of delivering Kate's next child, which came less than a week after the first. She also took the job as Kate's nanny, making a nursery of the apartment's second bedroom. It's getting rather full in there now, which strikes Kate as sort of a metaphor for the way she's keeping all these secrets from her husband. Mm. When labor hit with baby number four, Kate had simply rolled her eyes and said, You've got to be kidding me. Which brought to, which brought to mind the original slogan of the insidious medication at the root of all this. Surely you jest. Oh. Ultra jest. <laughs> Which in turn sort of <laughs> sort of shook her from her stupor and prompted her to ask why this was all happening. She had called the company to complain and to ask if there was some sort of antidote she could take. They had put her in touch with the field rep, a man named Jim Townsend. Ooh. He laughed at her predicament and didn't seem all that surprised. When she threatened to sue, he reminded her that she had taken a pill from a sample bottle for which she did not have a prescription, thus exonerating Lindsay Pharmaceuticals and their parent company, LaHaye Armaments. These days, Kate tries not to think about how many more children she might end up having. She knows Duke wants kids, but how would he react to half a dozen sprung on him all at once? After showering, Kate heads into the nursery to help Emma feed and change the babies. As she powders yet another little butt, she thinks about the morning's show. <laughs> KK. We're doing something right, man. Yeah, that's right. How Ted Strongbow had riffed on the FDA's finally approving UltraGest and how it's going to be launched this weekend at an evangelical conference. She can't help but wonder, will the same thing happen to everyone who takes it? Is she a fluke or is this just a problem with the drug? Does Lindsay Farm know about it? And most of all, what could be their motive? in all of this. Ooh, a lot of questions. Thank you, Aaron. A lot of unanswered questions at the end of that chapter, Zach Bartles. Um, <laughs> I appreciate the formality. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Baby, do we have time for one more short chapter? The next cha chapter is short. We do chapter have time five. for this chapter. All right, chapter five is called Fine Arts. And Is it, um, is it, is it always been called that? Or? It has, yeah. Okay. Since the beginning of time, since the beginning that it was written, it was called Fine Arts, and it hasn't been changed one considerably. Bit, no. One bit in since the then. One in the last ten minutes. Hold on. Baby, this is chapter five, fine arts. And I'll, I'll just warn the audience, there are a few footnotes. So I'm going to be awkwardly scrolling down to read the footnotes and then getting back into the text. So hover over the footnote, won't it just show it to you? I tried that and it didn't work. Oh, okay. Uh, it said, <laughs> all right, this is chapter five, fine arts. James Wiles was always a below average athlete. To say that this was a sore spot would be the greatest of understatements. Wiles' underperformance under in Noonball, a daily faculty pickup basketball game, <laughs> prompted his pursuit of a new faculty appointment at Florida Christian Polytechnic University. <laughs> Wiles, like many athletes, thought he just needed a change of scenery. The fine arts building at FCPU smells like air conditioning. It's 112 <laughs> degrees with 93% humidity this morning in Okeechobee, Florida. Football is king in Okeechobee. Given that the residents are famous for chasing rabbits through the sugarcane swamps as a means of increasing their foot speed. <laughs> stories abound about that. Wiles has heard the stories. Wiles has even himself donned a pair of officially licensed FCPU football shorts, $26 campus bookstore, and tried to chase a rabbit through those self-same swamps. What the abundant folk taily stories don't cover, though, is how to sort of find the chaseable rabbit in the first place. 
what happened in Wiles' case was just a lot of running around in muck, followed by him really dirtying the floorboards of his car. In the atrium of the Fine Arts Building is a statue of Duke Morrison in his football gear. Why this is in the Fine Arts Building is anybody's guess, really, but it doesn't seem to bother anybody but Wiles. Because he is an English professor and is therefore a student of irony, Wiles finds it deeply ironic that he moved to Okeechobee to escape Duke Morrison in the events of our day, but that he has to walk by the giant Duke statue each morning. <laughs> the statue is at least 20 feet tall. It's like the rendering of the dinosaur that's right inside the entrance to the Field Museum in Chicago. <laughs> so ironically, our day is the overwhelming first thought that Wiles gets every morning, followed by inevitable questions about whether he, he once played football at FCPU. Sadly, from an athletic standpoint, Wiles can barely walk and chew gum at the same time. This happens to be one of those cliches that's pretty much spot on in his case. The atrium on the other end of the building features a 20-foot Ted Strongbow statue, <laughs> such that there's literally no entrance available for Wiles that doesn't have him walking by either Strongbow or Morrison. <laughs> this, he thinks, really sucks. So we have a footnote on the, on the Strongbow statue, and I'm just going to read it. Which statue, adding insult to Wiles thinks injury, shows Strongbow kneeling and Strongbowing. <laughs> Blowback from a protest group caused the university to publish a bound copy of a 138-page peer-reviewed qualification statement explaining that Strongbowing is, quote, an interfaith maneuver intended to solidify the bond between groups of various ethnic and religious backgrounds <laughs> and is also intended to celebrate our unique and beautiful differences as people, per the document's abstract. <laughs> This, he thinks, really sucks, as does that QEP subcommittee meeting he's trapped in. QEP stands for Quality, Educational, and he's forgotten the P. <laughs> There's a woman in front of the room, room temperature, meat locker, droning on about hard assessments and soft assessments. He thinks that there's something dirty about the way that she's saying this, but maybe he just wishes that. She's droning about the proposed building of a state-of-the-art 32,000-square-foot tutoring facility, for FCPU football players in which each player will get his own dedicated office and administrative assistant drawn from a pool of qualified co-eds meeting certain mandated standards of appearance. Needless to say, this is the last proposal on earth Wiles would want to provide language for. <laughs> he thinks he was chosen solely for the color of his skin and the assumption that he was once athletic. <laughs> a full 93% of FCPU scholarship football players qualified as learning disabled last season, she explains clicking through PowerPoint slides. The number strikes Wiles is really high. As you know, we have a rich legacy at FCPU of coming alongside student-athletes in order to serve them better, she explains. Our first and most glowing example of this being Duke Morrison. <laughs> Wiles sits in rapt attention now. Apparently, Morrison was the first FCPU gritter to take advantage of the FCPU FTPA program, <laughs> which stands for Florida Christian Polytechnic Full-Time Personal Assistant. <laughs> Per program guidelines, Morrison was assigned a full-time assistant who went to all of his classes, wrote all of his papers, and took all of his exams for him, making realistic the doubly ironic proposition that Morrison probably never darkened the actual door of the building in which he's memorialized forever. <laughs> Morrison could barely read when he got to FCPU, she beams, but he graduated cum laude with a degree in medieval literature. <laughs> a a Apparently Strongbow is cum laude as well in small particle physics. <laughs> Wiles can't believe what he's hearing. He does a bit of quick, frantic Googling, only to find that FCPU has the highest cumulative football GPA of any school in the DSES conference, 
deep south eastern seaboard, <laughs> which Wiles thinks is a total joke because he has a bunch of football players enrolled in his Chaucer class this semester, but none of them ever come. However, Wiles is completely locked out of the online grading module for football players, given that all of their work is done through the athletic office. Finally, James Wiles has a purpose. He's going to need to do some quick hacking, which will involve a dark room, an outdated computer terminal, <laughs> and lots of styrofoam coffee cups strewn around. Yes. James Wiles is going to take down FCPU football, and in doing so, take down Duke Morrison and Tim Strongbow. He smiles evilly, which seems like just the right sort of dramatic gesture for him, but just strikes everyone else in the room as weird. <laughs> <laughs> That's the end of chapter five. Funny. Fine arts. Fine arts. Yeah. Definitely the name Original of it. title. Original title, fine arts. Yeah. Now, I just had a, a, a vision, Ted. Okay. Lay it on me. When this, when this is done, oh. I don't think we should offer it for sale as a paperback. Okay, I'm listening. I think we should only offer... A hardcover bound, full saga. Okay. Both. Mega volume. Mega volume, omnibus. if you will. Ooh. An omnibus. An it's omnibus, if omnibus. you will. Yeah, yeah I will. Of, yeah. Yeah, we will. We will. Of both of them. It's going to be a little pricey. Uh-huh. It's going to be a nice hardcover, case bound. Yeah. No, scratch that. It's going to be hardcover with a dust jacket. Oh, a dust jacket. And you will be able to buy this uh, when, when this is done. We'll put it together. We'll offer yeah. it up. And if you're really somebody who, who wants to convert people to the right mm -hmm. eschatology, you will buy lots of cobbles volume. and yeah. you're going to hand them yeah. out to everybody. So uh, It's probably going to retail, what, $55, $60? Uh, conservatively, yeah. yeah. We're in the book business. I mean, we haven't run the numbers yet. but uh, Paper's expensive these days. Absolutely. But it will be well worth it. Every and it's a, cent. It's a collector's item. I'd like to fashion, Zach, the cover, and we haven't workshopped this, but... Could we make it look like a Florida Christian Polytechnic textbook? Ooh, I like Maybe that. Maybe shrink wrap. Maybe a little shrink wrap around it. <laughs> we'll see what we can do. I love it. I I, love you it, know, dude. I think we also should make like a little additional incentive. If, you, if you're the, one of the first hundred to buy it, you get a uh, Chuck Woolery uh, lure. Lure. <laughs> I love for, it. What, what kind of lure was that again? A minnow bass lure. Minnow bass lure. Oh, it was a moto minnow. Moto, moto minnow. <laughs> moto minnow. I'll be honest with you, I'm not much of a fisherman, so I don't know what that means exactly. Me neither, but I but like the sound of I'm it. I'm going to do some more reading tonight on ChuckWillery.com, and I bet I'll know all about it. I, I, I have no interest in fishing. I do my homework. I have no interest in boats and wharfs, yeah. but I would go fishing with Chuck Woolery. I would too. I'd do that in a heartbeat. So Chuck, if you're listening, yeah, we, and know we know you, you are. are. Yeah. yeah, we know you're in the gut check army Say probably. hi to Charlie. And, and Say hi to Charlie steamer. and Steamer. Yeah, Steam. <laughs> you know, our good buddy Steam. <laughs> Steamy. Chuck, if you're listening, we would like to... Um, we would like to collaborate on a gut check lure. And Ooh. what we'd like for you to do on your website is just embed it with all the Happy Rant lures <laughs> that you already have. All the podcast branded lures from Happy Rant. Maybe you could just kind of the hide middle. the gut check lure in the middle of gut all those other Gut check army lures. lure. Yeah, yeah, gut check army lure. Uh, actual. That would, be, <laughs> that would be great. Maybe we have... Um, you know, we've it's been almost like a work day today. We've worked really hard. We've produced some new things. Um, we've we reviewed some, some, some other salsa, things. A lot yeah. of salsa, a lot of cheese. Eating a lot of salsa and cheese. And uh, I'd like to knock off for the day. Let's punch out. Let's punch out, indeed. But I'd like to know, Zach, if you enjoy the salsa and the cheese. <laughs> so what, what Kristen is doing when she asks if I enjoy the salsa and cheese is making a reference to the, uh, the embarrassingly noises. almost sexual noises I was making while I was eating them because 
they were delicious. Of how good they were. Yeah. And, and because I'm someone who's free and expressive. With your feelings. Yeah. And I wanted mm-hmm. and I wanted everyone to know I appreciated uh, what Tennessee had to offer. Even if it looks like northern Michigan here, I Absolutely. was glad and I feels. Yeah. get a little of the... Uh, the Tennessee you know. uh, ambiance. Uh, and by the way, uh, as soon as we pull... I know what your, your 10-day forecast said. It's going to still be cold. Yeah. It's not. As soon as we leave... It's, it's going to be 70 and sunny. It's not the day even going to be leave. the melting of snow. It's just going to be gone. It's just going to follow us. <laughs> I'm going to play tennis the day that you leave. Four sets. I'm going to get a little sweaty. I'm going to tie my sweater around my neck. That's how warm it's going to be. <laughs> like Locks Over Street. Yeah. No, I'm gonna, I've actually got a tennis match with Steamer scheduled for uh, for next Tuesday. So, Zach, this has been the Gut Check Podcast. We have worked very hard. We are going to punch the clock now. A couple of hardworking men. Ka-chung. Like we're leaving the wharf, you know. <laughs> with our dock boots. With our dock boots. We're going go to the, we're gonna go to the wharf bar and blow off some And we will see you next time. Seems the days we spend together all too quickly fade away. Even now my inner mind is filled with thoughts of yesterday. I wish I would have gotten you. They say grow up, put your mind on what you have to do. But I know I can never make it, baby, without you.